0: Hi, and welcome to Effective's Top 10 Tips podcast. Each episode is a quick roundup of practical, easy to implement tips on a wide range of management and personal development themes. As always, full show notes for this episode, including a handy summary of each tip, are available on our website. Just see the episode notes for this and many other useful links. We also offer workshops and coaching on all topics covered in this podcast series. Today's episode is on added value language. Tip number one, listen carefully and match. Target two things about the other person, what they say and how they say it. They are both equally important. What is the content and how is it being said? Listen carefully to the words that people are actually using to express themselves so that perhaps you can play them back later. You can use some of their language, which they're obviously familiar and comfortable with, and listen for how they're speaking. What kind of pace are they using? What's their tempo? What's their register? What's their tone? The emotional weight behind the words they are using. Whenever you can match either their content or their tone, the more likely you are to be in rapport with them and come closer to them and to establishing a positive relationship. Tip number two. Use the active or passive tense appropriately. Know the difference between the active and the passive tenses. The active tense always puts the subject first and the object second. Here's an example. The cat sat on the mat. The subject is the cat, which is followed by the active verb sat and then the object, the mat. The passive version reverses the object and the subject, so it leads with the object, the mat. Then there is the passive form of the verb was sat on by, then the subject, the cat. So, the cat sat on the mat, active. The mat was sat on by the cat, passive. Three things follow from this. Firstly, active is natural. It's actually how we speak. Whereas passive is synthetic, artificial. Secondly, Active carries more energy and is more engaging. And thirdly, the passive version is always longer. In our cat example, the active version is six words, the passive version is eight. So, why bother with the passive version at all? There is one good reason, and that's if and when it's immaterial or irrelevant who is doing the action. What's important is the process or procedure, which is often the case for science processes, procedures, or policies. Tip number three, choose between but and and. People will often say yes, but, and whenever you hear yes, but, it is interpreted as no. So someone might say, yes, I agree with what you're saying, but, and the but actually undermines everything that's gone before. So the but is heard as a rejection. So see if you can substitute but with the word and. So instead of yes but, you say yes and. This changes the dynamic and the relationship completely. Because when you hear the word and, it's adding to what the person has said. It's affirming their contribution, not rejecting it. Small change, big difference. Tip number four. Use and rather than Either or. Often people will say, it's a choice between A or B. What this does is set up a win-lose situation. If there's two people or two groups, one favoring A and the other favoring B, then if the decision is in favor of A, those supporting B feel a sense of loss. If the decision is in favor of B, those supporting A feel a sense of loss. So either way, whenever it's an either or, someone loses. Whereas if you can say, let's look to see if we can find a way of meeting A and B, can we come to a decision? Then that is seeking a win-win outcome. It will bring people together rather than separate them. Tip number five, use non-accusatory language. Sometimes when we are replying to somebody in conversation, we'll use a phrase which feels accusatory to the other person. Here's an example. If I were to say to you, you don't understand what I'm saying, then clearly that's a criticism of you for not being capable of understanding what I'm saying. They are bound to resent it and feel hurt and damaged by it. If you say instead, I haven't made myself clear, let me have another go, let me give you an example, then you are taking any responsibility for any failure onto yourself. The other person doesn't feel defensive or criticized or damaged in any way Because it's your failing, not theirs. So here's a really powerful tip. If you're ever going to say something in conversation that you think the other person could take as a criticism, start what you're going to say with the word I, and not the word you. Tip number six. Clarify ownership. How we use language will give a sense of how much ownership we have of what we're talking about. The classic three components here are the difference between it, you and I. If I were to say, it's difficult, it somehow places the responsibility for the difficulty out there, away from me. And so I don't really have much ownership. It's difficult. Whereas if I were to say, I find it difficult, The ownership is clearly mine I have to do something about it so if you want to take ownership of something use the I word and if you want to avoid ownership then you'll use it or any other third-person terminology so here's an example my clothes don't fit it sounds like it's the fault of the clothes naughty naughty clothes what happened in the wardrobe the truth is I don't fit my clothes anymore It's not the clothes, it's me. More painful, but more honest. And saying it this way will bring home to you that it's down to you. You own it to put right. Midway between the it and the I is the word you. So let me run this past you. You know, when you've got lots of priorities and you're not really sure which one to do first, and so you get a bit panicky and a bit stressed, And that doesn't help you get on with doing the job that you're meant to do. All of that sounds, in a sense, everyday and quite commonplace. But central to that is the use of the word you rather than it or I. So, you know, when you have loads of priorities and you're not sure what to do next, it sounds as though you're talking to somebody about their lack of being able to sort through their priorities and them not knowing what to do next. In fact, when I'm coaching and I, into a one-to-one conversation and somebody uses this pattern of language saying, you know, when you, you know, you've got lots of priorities and you're not sure which one, I usually stop and say, sorry, is this about me? And they say, of course not. And I say, well, who are you talking about? They say, well, I'm talking about me. So I then say, well, if it's about you, can you use the word I, meaning I? So they do. And all of a sudden... The issue is theirs. They own it. So their version becomes, When I've got lots of priorities and I'm not really sure which one to do first, so I get a bit panicky and a bit stressed, and that doesn't help me get on with doing the job that I'm meant to do. Tip number seven. Match their senses blend. We interpret the world through our five senses. Seeing, hearing, feeling, smelling and tasting. But we each have a different blend of these senses some of us are much more responsive to some of these senses than others many of us are more visual and some are more aware of sounds for example and if you can get a sense of the other person's preference and then play back into that preference you're much more likely to have a comfortable communicating relationship so for example i'm highly visual i will often use language that's visual such as I see what you're getting at, or that looks good to me, or I get the picture. All of that's visually based language. Visual is my preference. I like somebody to draw me a picture or a diagram because I understand things better through a visual representation, and I can remember it more easily. Many of us are like that, are visually retentive. You can make use of that. If you knew someone you were working with had a visual preference, then presenting them with a picture or using visually strong language would help build rapport and the relationship. Tip number eight, decide between questions and statements. When we communicate, we tend to be in one of two formats. We're either using statements or questions. Typically, if these were written down, a statement would end with a full stop and a question would end with a question mark. Statements are really good for passing on information, whereas questions are really good for engaging others and seeking their views. Questions are also good for controlling somebody else's thoughts and even actions. Whatever you are thinking, I can change that by asking a question. If I ask you, what's your favourite colour? You are likely to answer that at least in your head. So that's what you are now thinking about. Your thoughts based on my question. So making a judgment all the time about whether you want to engage through questions or provide information through statements is a really important skill. Tip number nine, test for readability. Do a readability check on your written work. There are several free programs on the internet to help you do this. And such tests tend to focus on two key factors, length of sentences and length of words. Generally speaking, long sentences, more than 20 words, consisting of long words, three or more syllables, are harder to read. Tip number 10. Use high-impact words. Some words have really high impact, for good or for bad. So individual words make a powerful difference. But that is the subject for a different podcast covered elsewhere. High impact language. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it or leave us a review. Remember, you can find full show notes on our website, plus a growing library of free resources which you can easily search by theme to find content that's relevant for you. We also offer workshops and coaching on a wide range of topics. Links to all of these resources are in the episode notes. Thank you.